Today, This American Dice presents the 13th episode of Dungeon World, The Fate of Blackburn the Lesser. Palace intrigue abounds. After our heroes have returned the Duke to the Palace of Piranese, they find themselves wondering about the loyalty of those around them. The Honor Guard, the High Priest, the Duke, one another. What shall they find, and who can be trusted? Find out today on this American Dice. One thing that we had not discussed was that, remember, Pascal had a terrible wound to his foot. If you remember that, he had a javelin that went right through his foot. So he's kind of like pushed past her and is trying to get ahead. And um, as this is going on, we hear an alarm go up. So we hear like bells clattering and ringing. The big cliffhanger we left on with you guys is that you're in these three separate spots and an alarm goes off. And I think some of the confusion last time around was, what is this alarm going off about? Is it going off because Pascal had pushed past um, this honor guard? Or is it going off about something else? There's just kind of like a big, like, clanging, like, uh, bells ringing that indicate danger. Where is Donato when this is uh, when this alarm goes off? Um, this is the day of like the big homecoming festival. Is that correct? I think there is a, I think there is probably some big celebration planned. There's even like a coronation planned. Um, he's probably been uh, unofficially. He swore in like with you guys. And I think it's like he's resting, and there's probably a coronation ceremony that's in the process of being planned. When you say he, are you talking about the Mike Duke? Mark? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, like this, like later today is when this big like thing's happening, right? Soon, either. Um, I'm imagining it's you guys got there, you kind of rested through the day. It is now the night. Oh, okay. Afterwards. So it's this is nighttime. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so there, there is a coronation ceremony that's planned. They're still, though, cleaning up bodies out of this palace. So they don't sure. want to do this just yet, but they want to do it soon. So it's probably, if not tomorrow, then the next day or the day after that. Like, it's going to be soon because they yeah. want it to be soon, but they also don't want it to be like, and there's a severed arm next to the kid while he's, <laughs> swearing, while he's being sworn in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did that in Game of Thrones, and no one seemed to mind yeah peasants weren't crazy about it <laughs> yeah the uh that's what uh charles the charles the third had that exact thing happen <laughs> he true? just swore in, he was he was just coronated recently and there was just a bunch of viscera splattered all over next to him <laughs> what <laughs> no okay yes, like, from when wow. the queen erupted as we yeah, all exactly know what happened she was like <laughs> she was Her like expiration date as i'm leaving <laughs> i will do this and burst like a cronenberg movie <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, so I was asking because I wanted to see if Nato had to be like getting ready for this, but the answer is no. So you could um, be in the process of helping to plan it, but you wouldn't yeah. be like like I'm tying my bow tie exactly. for the event. No. Right. So I would see it as like he's in the process of like yeah, sort of, sort of like solidifying his position as like you know a member of the court, um, like trying to get things help like have his face be seen in a lot of places, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. that's right and we had even talked about how like under normal circumstances the premise of you being 
um, a court jester or a court performer and also part of the honor guard would absolutely not fly. But right now it's like, there's no one to tell him no. There's yeah, there's basically no one to tell like several rungs above you of people are all dead. And so there's no one who's telling you exactly how to do this job. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And even among the honor guard, there's just way fewer of them. Yeah. So like you were used to being in the palace. There's maybe, maybe half the number, probably less than that. So, okay. This is a, a three eighths situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, that's when you hear, um, oh yeah. Well, what, what room are you in? To give us your your surroundings. Um, let's just say I'm I'm in the throne room. Uh, I'm like talking to you know like some of the laborers, like trying to like sort of direct, like even like have some input. I'm like, oh, here's like what the throne room should look like, especially for like when the event comes, and like sure. establishing himself as a guy who like tells other people what to do. Oh yeah, and there's people who are. Uh, um, I think there's like a craftsman, like a skilled craftsman who comes in to look at the, the actual throne itself to basically be like, okay, how do I fix this thing that got really fucked up in this fight? Like, because I'm a skill, like I'm an, I'm an artisan. How do I do this? And while meanwhile, there's another, like a scullery maid just scraping out blood from a carpet with a big old timey brush. And that's when you hear like this clatter of klaxons or whatever to indicate like there's trouble afoot. Oh, okay. Um, so when he hears this, he'll um... and all of these people, I, um, all of these people, they immediately go into like traumatic shock almost about this, uh -huh. where they're like, "Oh shit!" I think this artisan jumps behind the throne, and then um, thinks thinks about it, and then runs away from the throne. Yeah. The scullery maid just is like, oh, shit. And like, uh, like just kind of tries to find a dark corner. Oh, it's dear. nighttime in a Renaissance era thing. There's lots of dark They're areas. They're all dark corners. Yeah. Yeah. Just Leonardo da Vinci jerking off. <laughs> in every dark corner. Well, he has so many arms in that machine yeah. or whatever he is. <laughs> his, 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 his Vitruvian jizz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's really impressive is, is he's a turtle the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> the really turtle. Which is fucking nuts. He leads. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, then I was going to, like, he's not crazy about hearing this either. Um, but he's going to do his best to be like, it's, everything's all right. I, I'm a member of the guard as well. I'm going to make sure <laughs> that, I'm going to make sure that, that you guys, everyone in this room is safe. And he's going to leave the room looking for Comet. Okay. I think the artisan who has not been in the, the palace that much is like, okay. And maybe the scullery maid who weirdly has been in the palace a bunch is like, I don't, I don't buy this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think <laughs> anyone who knows him from before, which probably be a yeah. lot of people, would be like, that's like the third string, like, court entertainer. Like, why? <laughs> Although yeah. I guess they know he came back with the, the emperor, so I don't know. Because yeah, they think... decide for themselves. So I, I think, yeah, that's, that, that's, you're not going to get a bunch of that reaction. I think that that's just her, her, yeah. Um, her thing to kind of reiterate like, Oh, this has been a quick move up in the world or change <laughs> up in your life. Yeah. Both a lateral right. and vertical move. 
Uh, and when I said I'm looking for kind of, I, I don't actually know where either of them are. So I guess I'm looking for either of them because I don't want to go running into danger alone. So I'm just looking to go to it with some one of these people is the idea. Do you think that that goes to a discern realities role? As far as like where I should be running to? Yeah, or just what the fuck's going on right now? I could certainly do that. Sure. Um, Uh, I got a nine. Nine's pretty good. You get to ask one of those questions. Um, what should I be on the lookout for? There is a series of bells that go off. So, like, you hear bells and yelling, and then you hear other closer bells and yelling. And you're in familiar enough with the palace to know that the initial spot if you almost kind of like reverse engineer it in your head of the mm -hmm. closest one to you to the one where it initially started is at um, the royal family's chambers. And you're like, shit, that's where the trouble is. That's where I need to, that's where there's a, a problem. Okay. So what do you okay. need to be on? The, what do you need to be on the lookout for? I'll just tell you the Duke's in danger. Uh, I, okay, well, given that, I guess then he would go straight there. Like, I think I could see that trumping his his fear of being in a battle. Be like, oh, like, this is the one really important thing that I really care about. So he'll just go straight to that. Comet, you were in, um, I was maybe in the like the, with yeah, Laura, I believe their equivalent of like the palace chapel, like bigger official religious functions would be done in a separate location. This is the, the, like the family cha chapel is the only term I, um, I can think of. I'm not sure of another sure. term to use here. Um, but so he had been like cleaning stuff. The two of you had been having this conversation and, um, he seems to have this confidence in you about things and he wants to see you succeed but um he seems nervous about you changing your life if mm -hmm. that makes sense and like leaving. you seem to be possibly changing up your uh who you're going to be and what your future is going to be and he doesn't quite like that um, he, or at least he's nervous about it. And he'd even said, like, I've already lost enough. I don't need to lose any more. Um, like, this will be even more of a sacrifice. He and you are just having this conversation when you hear these sirens as well. You're less familiar with the palace, I think, and so maybe you um, just hear the, like, whatever the closest one is, mm -hmm. and there's, like, an alarm, and he drops this brush or whatever he's doing. Maybe he'd taken a break, and he kind of tries to, he slowly stands up and is like, something's wrong, something's happened. Um, I'm going to pick up the mall. And I'm going to go, what is that? What kind of alarm? He's like, there's some kind of danger. 
in the palace. And he can kind of slowly walk out towards um, like a hallway. Mm-hmm. And I think in a hallway you see some uh, one of the honor guard kind of running by, like come into the like come up to him and say like, "Are you like are you okay, uh, High Priest Valorum?" And he's like, "I I'm fine. Where where is this?" And the honor guard will kind of listen to it and say like, "Um, I think it's in the royal chambers." I'll just kind of nod, and then I'm going to look at him, and I'm going to go, stay here. I'll come get you when this is over. He solemnly nods. So then, Comet, I assume you run towards that direction? And I think yeah. this honor guard is also running with you in that direction as well. Okay. I'll run uh, side by side with him, and um, I'm just going to say, frankly, has this happened before? Only once before, and that was when the orcs showed up. Well, I guess we're going to see what we're getting ourselves into then, yeah? I'll go with them. I think we said the Michelle Rodriguez character was named Sir Gina Truthfinder. That sounds about right. Is this who I'm running with, Gina? No, I was looking at the names of the people, and I had a Sir Gregory. And I was like, I think I changed that to a female name. And the closest I could think of was Gina, and not. I was like, "What would Gregory be as a lady name?" Greg um, Gina. Greg Gina. My name is Greg Gina. Uh, all right. So then we hop to Pascal. So Pascal, you were already on your way to see the Duke. You were speaking to Sir Gina Truthfinder, mm-hmm. and you had pushed your way past her. One of the things, if I can have a, uh, almost like a little flashback with you real quick, was that uh, you got really badly wounded in the foot Mm -hmm. while out and about. And then you were in this disgusting, hideous water for a while. Um, Do you think at any point Pascal went to... No, I'm just going to say someone sent, like, a healer to go and visit you at some point. Do you think Pascal would have been copacetic with, like, letting this person examine their foot? Um, I think so. Would there be any reason to be suspicious? I mean, this would have, this is really just a setup thing, uh, to talk about this foot of yours. Um... I'm fine with just going with it then. And so I think, okay, well, we maybe we see Pascal like limping, running, and then we see this little flashback. And uh, maybe this is like a someone who had been at a lower rank than Comet had been within the Church of Ilmater. So they're like the equivalent of like an acolyte or something. Yeah, something something lower than Comet had been before. And so they're looking at your foot, and they're like, Oh, I don't know. Well, Mr. Uh, uh, Sir Spearchild, this, this wound's pretty bad. 
you you said you uh you said the 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 spear went clean through. Oh, it was a javelin first, and I've seen worse. Oh well, this one's pretty rough. Uh, is there is there anything else that happened afterwards? After the wound, um, David doesn't remember. <laughs> I, we got in the battles after that, right? Then there was an entire adventure in a sewer full of disgusting water that was full of dirt and grime and fat. Oh, do we know that um, evil spirits live in uh, sewers? That they might. That might yeah. be what Pascal thinks. Sure. So yeah, he's like, "What? Well, then we went through the cistern and saved the Duke." A cistern like a like like of just fresh water? Oh, I don't think so, no. Whatever you could tell me could help me help me make sure your foot make sure that you keep your foot. Yeah, I think he's gonna tell him the whole thing. Okay, I, mean, I didn't you, know if you were. Yeah. I didn't know if you were doing it as a character choice of I don't remember. I I don't care to tell you this information. No, I I don't think I have any reason to be suspicious of him. As far okay. As I know. Um. Then yeah, this acolyte will just tell you like, like this, like this needs to be treated a lot, or this is going to get infected. Like you need to probably stay off this and need to do these treatments of, um. Boiled wine and liniment oils, and uh, you need to change the bandages once every other night. I'll take that into consideration. Thank you. And he says, uh, I, oh, uh, he'll say, if I may, if I may be so bold to tell you this, sir, I know I'm a humble acolyte and you're a, you're an esteemed knight. But if you don't, you're going to lose this foot. Uh, well, if someone told you you would lose your hands if you stopped praying, would you? Perhaps not. I'll do what I it need it, but I will take that in consideration. I appreciate your help. Yeah, he looks at your foot and um, he's just kind of like, Oof. Yeah. It's like some men help their gods through praying, and well, I help in a different way. And he maybe holds his spear next to him. Uh, yeah. This guy, this guy thinks about saying, <laughs> and maybe, oh, he, he says it as he's on his way out, and he's like, I hope that spear makes an okay crutch. <laughs> Flashback to where we are in the present, and Pascal is kind of limping a little bit. I've been limping the whole time. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's he's limp he's limping a bit, uh, which means he is not getting away from this person. This person is right on his heels. Yeah. She's yelling like treachery, treachery again. And this is after or before the bells are going off? 
This is as the uh, this was you were the first to respond to the uh, to the alarms going off. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and are heading this way, and she had she had you had moved her aside as these alarms were going off. And okay. so it's still it's still up in the air as to whether the alarms are going off because of what you're doing. Yeah, I think if I was a really if I was a really good filmmaker, <laughs> I could make this like questionable as to what's going on here. But the the different uh, turn based element of this is makes right. it a little tougher. Yeah, I'm not totally sure of the timing. So that means Pascal definitely is it. So I'm going to go with that. Maybe he will be using the spear as a crutch, I guess, like you suggested. But he said he'll just keep going and just over his shoulder, I guess. Um, it's like, see, see what you've done. If you, if you keep me from protecting the Duke, that'll be the, the real treachery going on here. Let's both go to our emperor's aid. I think she's going to try to pull you. She's going to basically try to throw you back and get ahead of you. I, I'm not going to attack her, so I guess I'm, I'll let her do that. Okay. She grabs you and judo throws you backwards. Yeah, and I guess I just get back up and continue on. Okay, but well, that means she's going to get there ahead of you by far because she is not limping. Yeah, that's. I don't think there's anything I can do at this point, right? I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. I don't think I have any moves to, for that or anything. Carl and Justin, could you each roll a... Well, Carl, you were in the throne room, you said, right? That's right. And Comet had been in the... Chapel. Hmm. Could each of you just roll a d6 for me? Six. <laughs> Good. Carl? Five. Five. Okay. We're so the, ch the chapel is the closer place of the two locations. Uh, How did you determine that? <laughs> Your no complex mental map. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a fucking mystery man. <laughs> um... Yeah, so, uh, Comet, you are... So you're going to encounter Pascal, and the two of you... Like, you'll see him up ahead, and he's kind of limping forward in this direction. He's using the spear kind of as a crutch or a cane to kind of hurry himself along. And you and, um, I'll say it's Sir Alan, are running towards uh, this direction. And so you encounter Pascal in the hallway. Pascal, you're doing all right, man. No, I think the Duke's in danger. Uh, Sir Jean is on her way already, but she, she seemed to be quite a hurry and very uh, unaccommodating to let me join her, he says, narrowing his eyes. I'm going to look at Sir Alan. Yeah, and Sir Alan's like, what the hell are you two waiting for? Move it. Oh, I assume we're we're moving it. We, we just stopped. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. Pascal would not stop. <laughs> I think no, he's just like a West although, Wing walking Although, yeah, he's he's very slow. So maybe they were just yeah. talking to him as he's going. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the issue is Sir Alan is like, stop looking back there and talking to him. Let's go. Donato, you're the person most familiar with the palace. You weren't the closest. How do you get there first? Oh, I mean, I guess um, he just knows like the, like the sort of like the backstage as you as it were like servants entrances and exits to stuff. Like if he's in the throne room, there would be a ton of those coming from there, uh, and then you could like leverage those to get to like living quarters before other people, and then from there to the royal quarters. Okay. So even though you are not the closest, I think you can arrive first. 
Yeah, and presumably those places would be like basically no one in them because no one rushing to this thing would be going through them, I suppose. So he doesn't have to deal with crowds or other encounters. I'm going to have you guys arrive in very quick succession. So it's going to be like a one, two, three. And we're going to try to only have it be like one action at a time. The equivalent of like, okay, a round happens, then another round happens, then another round happens. Because I don't want you guys to be divorced from what's going on. But I do think it's interesting to have people arrive at different times. If that makes sense. Cool. So Donato is able to make his way towards kind of the royal chambers. And um, he's able to hear almost the start of a fracas, like the start of a fight. And he hears this on the other side of this door. Does he burst on into this door? This is the door behind which the Duke slash Emperor is presumably being? Yeah, so this is like you're going in through the servant's entrance that would go to this, uh, like go into the Duke or... Perhaps he's still staying in his young, like, children's quarters. So maybe he's not staying in, like, the the Duke's quarters. But wherever he is, and you can tell me which is which. Let's um, say he's staying in the Duke's quarters. Like, he would would understand the significance of that symbolism. Yeah, so he chose to do this, and there was nobody questioned it. He was put in there, and this is the servant's quarters to go in there, where, like, chambermaids and whatnot would come to, like, pull out a gross slop bucket uh, full of full of duty slop and that kind of stuff. And um, you're kind of at, before you pull that door open, you hear that there is some kind of combat or fighting going on on the other side of it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's kick the door down. All right. So yeah, you pull this thing open or kick it open, whichever one. And on the other side of this, you see this, it is a palace. So Everything is palatial. So the term palatial, I'm going to go ahead and say, that describes everything. It's also very Mediterranean looking. So there's lots of like uh, frescoes and relief work and that kind of stuff, like all over the place. The amount of artwork in this place is wild. And it is all theoretically of the highest quality and caliber that you, who I think had, did you ever live in the capital? Uh, yeah, at some point. Um, that is the only other place you have ever, oh, thank you. That is the only other place to have ever seen anything that comes close to this. And even then, um, it only surpassed it by a little bit. Like Duke Blackburn really made an effort, given that his wife was a princess from the capital. He really made an effort of like, oh, I am the emperor and everything that any, anything that survived from the capital that was really nice. It's in here. I bought it for sure or took it from people. Maybe. Maybe that part you don't necessarily know. But he has it. Um, And so this place is amazing. There's an enormous, huge four-post bed um, that is like the kind of thing that Hugh Hefner would only dreamed he could have his gross orgies on that may not have all been consensual uh like kind of a deal but so like this bed is enormous and uh here's what you've got in the room aside from all this artwork and this amazing bed you've got sir kevin on the floor 
with a knife in him. You've got a young Duke Blackburn, Hugo Blackburn the 10th, 10th Duke of du uh, Piranese, first emperor of that name, emperor in absentia, of course, that's an important thing to note. And he is cowering on the other side, on the far side of this gigantic bed. Um, again, he's only 11 years old. He's in like fresh night clothes. He's been washed up. He looks a lot nicer than he did before. Um, like all the blood off his mouth had been cleaned up from when somebody knocked several of his teeth out. And you see a fight going on between two people. Two of those people are, one is one of the honor guard. Um, I think it's an honor guard you have not met before. Uh, you can tell me if you have met this person. It's Sir Brittany Strongvow. And um, she is has her sword drawn and she is fighting a person who you have definitely seen before because that person is Farley. Hey there, folks. Austin here, and I know that this episode was a little bit short. So I figured to give you a little more bang for your buck, which is a hell of a deal because the three of you who listen to this aren't paying anything. Um, but I figured I'd give you a little bit of GM advice on things that I kind of thought about because of this game session. Um, and one of them is notes. What a fun topic, right? Notes. So recordings or notes... Uh, how do they help, and how? So, stories need to make sense. You need a story to have something logical that your brain can follow. Otherwise, it becomes confusing at best and indecipherable at worst or just boring. Um, so, recordings or notes help you prevent that from happening. They also prevent stuff like retconning from having to happen, something that we did here. Um, and that can really keep a game more on track. So the problem you run into with notes in these games is this is a game it's supposed to be fun. Taking notes for most people is not very fun. So how is it that you make that less burdensome? Well, a few options. One, record it. So you can record it, and then you can listen to it back later at like a faster speed to just get some of the stuff through it. But a three-hour, four-hour game session, even at double speed, is an hour and a half to two hours, and it's a bunch of chipmunk talk, and that's not super fun. Uh, so for some people, recording things can kind of work, but there's another option. Have the PCs, have the players, highlight notes for the cool things and important things that happened for their characters. Just have them focus only on themselves and tell them that flat out. Say, you know, okay, you are just going to be taking notes on you and what happened to you. You don't need to worry about anything else. Just focus on the important stuff that happened to you. If you do that, then that gives players not only... Uh, less work to be doing 
and while they're taking notes. But also, inherently, hopefully, they're interested in the stuff that they did as their character and the stuff that their character encountered. So it makes it a little bit less burdensome. There'll also be overlap points where all of the players remembered a certain thing. So you can know, like, okay, this definitely occurred and was a major factor for everybody. So that's kind of a big suggestion I would have. You could have a designated note taker, but that's essentially a classwork assignment where you're saying, okay, well, while everyone else is playing, you also have to take notes. Some people love that. They don't mind it at all. If you have players that are more passive, that are kind of almost more observers than players, sometimes they like that. That's the thing that they can do. But for most people, that's not something they're crazy about. My suggestion would be to have some kind of in-game reward to provide to them. So you could do an out-of-game reward. um, And I even include actually giving experience to whoever is taking the notes as an out-of-game reward because what you're rewarding them for in-game is something that happened out-of-game. What if instead... There is an element that, uh, for instance, this is the chronicle of what's going on. And by referencing this chronicle, characters can benefit from it in some way or another. And so by having active notes, people benefit, characters benefit, they get bonuses here and there towards certain things um, that they wouldn't otherwise. And so that might encourage people to do that. I'd also suggest switching up who the note taker is. Sometimes that could be a pain if one person is a much more reliable narrator than other people, but it can work out. So, another thing I wanted to talk about is Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone, dangling from a rope, carabiners ever so important, slipping grips, that's right, cliffhangers. That's what we're talking about. So the purpose of a cliffhanger traditionally is to get somebody to come back for the next chapter of something. It keeps people's interests. Uh, David once told me about a method for writing comic books, which is when you have the different panels of a comic, you want the bottom right panel on every other page, so the right-hand page, to be a cliffhanger. So it inherently encourages you to turn the page. I think that that's fantastic. It brings people back excited. So if you have a cliffhanger... um, you know that your players are more likely to be interested in going back, thinking about it. Ideally, you want your players to be thinking about the game and focused on it while they're not there, so when they come back, they're all jazzed up. So that's really your what you want. As a fun little tidbit, I did once have a boss who, instead of saying jazzed up, would say jizzed up all the time. And so he'd be like, yeah, oh, everybody was so jizzed up. That was uh, an interesting... Uh, phrasing that he would use. But that really, it helps. And it helps people to be excited about the game. It helps to then get people to respond when you're trying to schedule stuff, which is always a pain in the ass, that kind of thing. But Austin, what about when a game sputters out or uh, peters out or, or, or kind of fades and you end it on a, a cliffhanger? I'm going to use the show Deadwood as an example. The HBO show Deadwood was fantastic. It was three seasons of this really amazing Western, and the third season ends on a cliffhanger that's literally like, what's going to happen next? And you would expect the next episode to be 
something big. And it just never showed up. They canceled the show. Now, later on, they did produce a movie, which I still need to watch. Here's the deal. If that ever happens, that's okay. The game already faded out and sputtered out already. If you hadn't ended on a cliffhanger, it wouldn't be any different. Here's the advantage of ending on a cliffhanger. If you can actually remember it, if it was actually there, especially if you took notes. Now, hey, you've got something to come back to, and you can address that and either say, all right, we're picking up right where we left off on this exciting moment, or we're picking up later. Let's have you guys fill in as this um, prologue how that cliffhanger ended. And then let's start the next chapter of this. And so I think that actually it's not only not a problem, you don't need to worry about it because, again, the game was going to end anyway. So um, I'll get to something else. So what if you're missing somebody? You create a cliffhanger that particularly revolves around one player, one character, and what's going on with them. Is this person going to die? And then the next time you meet up, that player is not available. Well, what can you do? Um, a suggest, uh, an example that I have is uh, Justin's character, Comet, from this game. When Justin got hit by Yorag, Woundweaver Yorag, uh, down in the cistern, his character technically died. And we had to do that, um, the, the death move. The deal was that um, the next time we were supposed to play, Justin wasn't going to be able to make it. And so there was a discussion of, do we just play without him? Do we say that, okay, Justin is unconscious, and so we'll deal with the death move when we get the opportunity, and if he comes back, and if he does isn't able to come back, and there's a bunch of scheduling issues, then he just straight up died. Um, so basically, we would have a game just Carl and David in the next session. And what we did is my first suggestion, which is reschedule the game. So just reschedule it. If you can, if you're not recording stuff and releasing it, and you don't have these dates, who gives a shit? Just reschedule the game, come back to it later. But I wanna, I wanna play that. Turn the camera away from that, okay? Maybe in that situation we do have Comet unconscious. What else can we do? Maybe he's grappling with that decision we have as this cliffhanger. And I'm not crazy about that. But here's something that I think would be a lot of fun if you're really struggling with what to do, which is get the B team in here. So. Maybe we say, all right, we have to come back to those characters. We have to come back to Comet, Donato, and Pascal to figure out what is happening when Comet just got hit by this hammer and he might die. That's the important thing that we have to get back to. Well, what can we do? Maybe we hop away to other characters. Maybe this is when we get the opportunity to see what the orcs are doing. Maybe this is the opportunity we get to see what some of the honor guard are doing. And we hop to them and see what's going on with them. We fill out some more of the world. We fill out some more of the story. And then we come back to our players next week or next session, whatever it might be. So that's an option that I think is pretty good. This also gives players an opportunity to play characters that they otherwise wouldn't have played in this world. So again, the whole premise of this is that the orcs are held up uh, within this campaign, I should say, are the orcs were bad guys. Well, what if you know, these guys were the orcs? 
what if um, these guys now were some of the honor guard who had knowledge about who the traitors were? Well, that then changes things up and makes it interesting. So it lets you see things from a different perspective, as well as let you play these characters that otherwise you wouldn't have played in this game. And if you're only doing it for a session, that's easier uh, or more interesting and more manageable. My final little piece of information is positioning matters. And I don't even just mean positioning in regard to, all right, we got our miniatures out on the board here and uh, amidst the Cheeto dust, where's everyone positioned? That's important, sure, especially in crunchier games, but the narrative positioning, what just happened, what's gone on, you want to avoid having to kind of retcon stuff as much as possible. An easy example of this comes from this game uh, this that was in this episode. I had forgot that Pascal had been wounded significantly in the foot and that he wasn't supposed to be able to run. While he could fight and his fighting wasn't influenced, I had forgot since that happened that he was supposed to not be able to run very fast. Well, when the matter of he has to run down a hallway against Sergina came up, I brought that up because I had remembered it, and it felt shitty, and it felt shitty not because it hadn't happened, but because it hadn't come up in a game session or two, because I had just forgotten, and only from listening to previous recordings had I gone, oh yeah, he did have a spear go through his foot. So, screwing that up can be a problem. Um... I don't think it's a surprise that we tend to drink when we're playing, and so we'll have situations where people can are very, very capable while we're playing the game, everybody's got their wits about them while we're playing it, but later on, because you usually continue to drink after the game, as you're just kind of hanging out or doing your own thing, afterwards you'll forget some of what went on, and I think it can be tough, and those notes really, really help. Retconning stuff can be good, but unless everyone is involved in that, it can feel kind of shitty. It can feel like, oh, I had the success and you're taking it away from me, or I had some advantage or another thing that you're taking away from me, or you're going easy on somebody. And so knowing where everyone is positioned can really, really help out. Um, And when you have a cliffhanger, that becomes very important. So notes and cliffhangers together pretty important stuff. This episode of This American Dice featured music by Sir Cubworth with Ghost Chase Thriller, Cowpay with The Depths, Daniel Birch with Brushed Bells in the Wind, and Ender Gunier with For You King. Be sure to visit us on thisamericandice.net or .com. Our cast was, of course, Carl as Donato, David as Pascal, Justin as Comet, oh my, I forgot his name, and Austin was your game master. Adam Cobell and Sage Latora are the folks who whipped up this game, Dungeon World. Be sure to visit us uh, online, check us out on Facebook, like, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, the whole nine yards. Check us out on YouTube, where we have new episodes that come out basically every week. Um, I shouldn't say new episodes, they're old episodes, but that are getting deleted from our feed. Thursdays, we've got our long-running game, This American Monster, that comes out. It's a Monster of the Week podcast, and we're entering into our finale, so be sure to check it out from the start. 
See you next week, folks. Have a great night.